Hey guys, it's Morgan here. I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Like always, I'm joined by my husband, Josiah and the co-host of this podcast. Josiah, how are you doing this morning? It's Friday. We're in the studio, we're in the studio, quote unquote, meaning in our homes. <laughs> Usually we are in the studio, but with quarantine, we're just adapting to life and adapting to a three-week-old. She's sleeping right now, so life is great. Um, I'm doing great. I got some sleep, so let's have some fun. All right, he got a solid couple hours, so and a cup of coffee going right now. So praise the Lord. We have some amazing guests with us, Josiah, today, and I'm gonna allow you to introduce who those special people are. Not only just people, but they are a couple, and they're gonna be bringing the heat, hopefully, for us today and challenging every single one of our listeners, whether they're married, engaged, single, desiring to be in a relationship, sure. wherever they're at. Hopefully, this lands with somebody's heart today. So, who are our guests? Well, today we want to welcome a dynamic duo in ministry. You've heard of Batman and Robin. You've heard of other dynamic duos. And today, yes, name a dynamic duo. Uh, As you're listening, just type in the comments, which dynamic duo do you like? But this dynamic duo is pastors Chris and Holly Brown. And Chris is a sought after speaker, pastor, and church leadership expert with over 20 years of experience in ministry and financial experience. He's worked along Dave Ramsey for years as a national syndicated radio host for Life, Money, and Hope. He's been featured on uh, media outlets like Fox and Friends, but most importantly, he loves the local church and has served as a campus pastor at Elevation Church and executive pastor at Potential Church. And Chris and Holly, here's the deal about Chris. I'll say this. He's a wise man because he's like me. He married up. He has a better half who joins us as well. She's the executive pastor of I Am Embrace Church, and they have a lot of different projects going that we will let them talk about. But guys, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, totally honored. Thank you so much. And uh, been following you guys for a long time and love to see how much God's working in your life and your ministries. That's amazing. I will say, Chris, you, Josiah said 25 years you've been in ministry. Yeah, uh, correct? 20, yeah. 20 I'm, years. Well, you only look like you're 25, both of you. So, like, that's a freaky number when he said that. I was like, oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the number sneaks up on me every once in a while. I'm like, oh, shoot, is that true? Oh, my gosh. It keeps climbing. (laughs) (laughs) How it's possible at 21, but it is. I I love it. That sounds like my mom. She's still 25 and holding, and I'm like, mom, I've surpassed you. So, that's a problem. So. It's funny when you first start, you're like, okay, I just need a few years under my belt so everyone doesn't see me as the, the one at the table that's so wet behind the ears. And then it's like, okay, that's enough. Like, yeah. five was enough, ten's enough. Like, that's enough. Stop. <laughs> I got the street cred I need. I don't need to keep this going. <laughs> I absolutely love that you guys are just fun and playful and lighthearted, but also madly in love with Jesus. And obviously, and hopefully, madly in love with each other and what God is doing in your relationships. Um, across the board, it doesn't matter, from inside the church to inside your house walls and your family. So let's just get started with, you guys can kind of just meld your story together, but can you guys share your story and maybe like how you met Jesus, married each other, and how you've navigated the call to ministry as a couple? 
Well, two different paths for sure. Uh, I'm from the hood. She's from the Brady Bunch. So <laughs> two different uh, ways to it. Uh, we met in college at a Christian college. And uh, like I said, I came from a really bad childhood, lots of poverty, lots of violence. Have no idea how I ended up at a Christian college, but uh, they were going to pay me to play baseball. And uh, I said, for $50,000, I'll love Jesus all day long. So <laughs> <laughs> little did I know, God knew what he was doing. And um, just like Matthew chapter nine, when he, you know, approached Matthew in the tax collector booth and said, hey, hey, why don't you follow me? And he did. And two weeks later, I accepted Jesus and uh, made that 180 degree turn and uh, haven't looked back and still make a lot of mistakes, but love Jesus with all I got. She actually was uh, accepted Christ before she came out of the womb. And I'll let her speak for herself, but I will say that she was a big part of all my discipleship over the last, we mentioned 20 years ago, a minute ago. Uh, someone asked me recently, who, who would you say has discipled you the most? And of course I've been around some great leaders, but nobody's discipled me like this woman right here. She's absolutely phenomenal, incredibly wise. Two different paths completely. But we're both, uh, both in love with Jesus. Yep. So I grew up in a Christian home and we met in college at this college when he was playing ball and um, we got married very young. I was 19, got married right after my freshman year of college. I still can't, I can't even believe my mom let me date him. Nevertheless, approved. <laughs> I still, I still sometimes challenge her on that now that I got kids nearing that age. But um, we, when we met, he was, uh, had um, just a lot going on with um, uh, family and addiction and the cycle of abuse and addiction. And my dad was a very young man, but he was dying of a brain tumor. Um, and he was in his early forties. And so really God kind of brought us together and, and we fell in love and we went and asked a lot of people like, this sounds crazy, but should we do this or should we not do this? Are we too young? And um, every pastor we talked to said, hey, we've never given this advice before, but <laughs> considering both your circumstances and where you're at um, and, and the way you love each other and love Jesus, we'd recommend going ahead and uniting in marriage and just carrying both these burdens together. So that's kind of how we got together and at a young age. And then we've just, we've grown up together, really. I mean, when you marry at 19, there's still a lot of growing up to be done. And so we've grown up together, had a lot of grace as the other one has, has done that, um, as each of us has had, had to do that different season. So that's kind of our story. Uh, before we go on, I want to ask you guys a question. This is not in our notes, but if you guys could describe your marriage now, you said the Brady Bunch in the hood, what would be your title as a married couple now? Like, what would that be? Mm, good question. Um, uh, this is us is already taken, right? That's already a show. So, bro, I'd say from your mind, from your mindset, it would be tolerance, like tolerating me. Oh, please stop <laughs> it! Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. The one that I love um, is um, Friday Night Lights. I don't know if you guys ever watched yes. the. Yep. Um, I think there's a lot of dynamics in our marriage that resemble, resemble that. I mean, they're not necessarily a Christian family, but um, there's a lot of dynamics that kind of, you know, they both have their own things that they're going after, but they support each other. They stand up to each other. <laughs> they don't want to each other off when the other one's in a bad mood and just take a deep breath and keep going, but they accomplish a lot together and they make big impacts in, in, in people's lives. And so, I don't know, when we watch that show, we love, we like watching their marriage, so. Sounds like she's digging at something there. But, uh, 
stop. We're only two questions in. A lot to be exposed here, Chris. So we'll keep going, right? Okay, so apparently I'm moody. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I never said he was moody. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. There's lots of pseudonyms for moody. So whatever one you want to choose is. That's right. That's right. There you go. On a serious note, what I do love about marriage is what Micah and I found, we were coming up on three years, which is, you know. Um, Babies probably still. Yeah, but. but I just love that when I've been down, Micah's been up and she's been able to carry me and vice versa. Usually we found that both of us are rarely in the pits at the same time. Like when one is weak, the other's strong and just an example of embodiment of Christ. But just before we dive into a little bit more about marriage and ministry, you guys have a fun hobby outlet for creativity that I've been following on Instagram for a while. And you both share uh, a passion with my wife of demo days and reno days with the Mewtown farm. And just selfishly, I wanted to ask you guys about it. Can you talk a little bit about Mewtown farm and also um, what God has taught you through this process? Yeah, you know, it's uh, behind the heart of all the demo and renovations is uh, a heart of restoration. Like we love to restore things that uh, places and people that people have given up on. And so we live uh, what we call Mealtown Farm, um, which is an old dilapidated historical farm. It's the oldest house in our county. Uh, on It's on 30 acres and it was originally bigger than that, but it's been sectioned off and it's got nine different buildings on the property that are all like a hundred years old or more. Some of them are like 200 years old. And so the renovation of that it had been abandoned for seven years before we moved in. Uh, three years it was completely abandoned. And before that, there was a gentleman that lived here that had Alzheimer's. And so he didn't take care of the property. And so for us, it's not really just about demo and reno. It's, it's, it's a restoration of like, life used to happen here. There used to be memories made here. And uh, we're going to have some memories made here again, and not just for our family. But we always want to be outward focused also. And so we want to make sure that this is a place of ministry for people. So whenever we uh, renovate a cabin or renovate one of our bathrooms or whatever, in our minds, we're envisioning ministry happening out of one of those rooms. And already it's been able to happen. We've only been here two and a half years. And already it's been able to happen. So people, every, I mean, we got story after story after story of people coming here to be healed uh, physically, come for prayer. Uh, it might just be like time emotionally to get away. Um, but we've had all 50 states stay here. We've had people from New England, or not New England, England stay here, from Germany stay here. Uh, people have come here for a month. Some people come here for three months. Some people come for a day. Everything in between from honeymoons to family reunions to weddings, their wedding night. I'm like, your, your wedding night? Is that no time? <laughs> but no, whatevs, you know, whatever, whatever works for you. Right? <laughs> so it's just been a blast. Got to meet a lot of people. We moved out of a neighborhood. And so for us, we had that like, social you know itch that we need to scratch every once in a while so have people here and then be able to meet by the campfire and and talk it's just been great but kind of like the answer to this question the answer to your last question is a big heart and theme to our marriage is restoration we uh had a <clears throat> campus down in uh, south florida for from 2008 to 2010 called hollandale beach location of potential church that was this old dilapidated like 1952 old Baptist church that was converted and there was like 30 people in it and it was oppressed and had no budget, no, no people. And uh, we watched that get restored over a couple, couple years and thousands of people coming and uh, lots of energy. And so that we just love to restore ministries, we love to restore people, restore places. So fun. 
That's pretty cool because if you look around here, Micah has just a passion for, you know, she's, we're three, three weeks having a baby and I'll wake up sometimes and she's just painting, just going to town. Like, it's great. Oh, I love it. Gosh. She's the one that's good at it. I, I'm. We have different versions and upbringings. His family didn't change anything and my dad would come home and a wall would be down. He's like, do you realize that could have been a supporting wall? So I've learned, <laughs> I've learned some pretty handy things. So to see your guys' work and see your craftsmanship and changing um, something, you know, that is, you know, not so beautiful in allowing God to restore the souls and the minds and the hearts of people, not only just projects and things, I think is definitely one of my um, uh, passions as well. Just leave things better than we found them, whether it's a location or a person. And I think that's just an anthem that um, I can kind of just sing along with you guys from a distance and cheer you on. But we just love to hear that God is doing awesome things with your guys's um, lives and ministry and just the breakthrough that people are having. And we know that you guys are passionate about marriage and ministry. And are there any words you live by as the Brown family? Do you guys have an anthem, like, or specific no, you know, words you live by? Uh, yeah, you can go ahead on this one. Because I, I think you're going to throw it. So I'd love for you to hit it on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think the words that we live by, I think what Chris said, we like to restore, we like to find beauty in things that everybody else has cast aside. Um, and that, that comes a lot from people, mostly from people. We didn't realize that we did that physically through some different campuses that we, you know, we always say, we would keep talking about like the Hallandale days or the good old days. And they were always the places where we were running campuses or planning churches where nobody else wanted to, um, or, you know, it was just a lot of restoration work and you were dealing with mice and like trying to hide the smell of, you know, mice and stuff before Sunday morning started. We're like, why did we love that? But we love it, you know and um the same thing here we joke all the time like when i get to heaven i really hope jesus is not making me a a gold mansion i want logs and i want a comfy couch <laughs> and so we try we try to uh we didn't realize that we did that a lot with our life um as well kind of lived out that picture so but i think it so that would be one of our greatest anthems is just um finding beauty in what the rest of the world has given up on and watching them um, realize that, that this was, this is still beautiful. Um, another one that we have teenagers. And so this is an important part. They're all very close in age. Um, and so we, we, an anthem probably tailored to this season for us is uh, creating a home that is a place of emotional safety. So there's certain things in our lives that only the five people that inhabit this home should be privy to and, um, to create emotionally safe place you don't get to tell other people's stories for them. And so, and that is, um, I grew up with three sisters and we're all very close in age. So it's, you know, it's when you get to school and you found out, you know, your sister told someone you had a crush on them or your sister <laughs> told someone you did have a crush on that you no longer do and you think they're scum of the earth, you know, and they ruin your shot. So I just remember feeling that way and, and probably doing that too, to uh, siblings. And now that we have three siblings, or three kids that are very close in age, that's, that's an anthem that we carry a lot is creating everyone's story is their story to tell and you don't get to tell their story. You don't get to be vulnerable for somebody else. You can do that for yourself and you can be transparent for yourself, but you don't get to tell things on other people's behalf. And Chris and I really live that out in our home, but also in ministry too. I think it's really important um, 
I remember one time we had a pastor who had fallen at a campus. I was overseeing multiple campuses and uh, one pastor had fallen and we put a new pastor in there. And I remember the new pastor that came alongside, I told him we've been through a tough time. Um, and this was something that was private. It wasn't like a big um, announcement or anything that the, the gentleman had removed himself. And um, so we just didn't, you know, their family's not ready to tell a story. It's not, you know, we're not going to tell that. And I just remember this new pastor coming to me like a year later, like, why didn't you tell me this? Why didn't I'm like, because what that should have no bearing on how you love people. His story should not change how you love people. And no matter who's on my team, I want to, I want them to know that if they're struggling, they can raise their hand and we're gonna get them the help they need and help restore them, but we're gonna create a safe place. And when it comes time for you and your family to share your story, you share your story. That's not my decision to make. And I know there's extenuating circumstances to some of those things, but for the most part, we try to live by that, that, that we wanna create emotionally safe environments for pastors, for our children, for each other, so. That's amazing, you guys, that resonates with with me and with us and uh, inspiring on a parent level and family. But in ministry, I remember when Micah and I started dating, I was working for a senior pastor who had been my pastor my whole life growing up. And I told him like, hey, there's this girl, you know her, I'm thinking of dating her. And he's like, I think that's great, but that's your news. So if people find out, it's because you told them, not because I told them. And he wow. let that, that news be my announcement and it taught me so much about just either gossip or empowering someone else's right. story can, can be their testimony or it can be their news to share that's so exciting. And we could rob somebody out of the opportunity to give a testimony of yeah. God overcoming something or just sharing a joyful news or celebration just because of how right. we get excited about maybe gossip or news or things like that. But my follow-up to that, Chris and Holly, maybe you guys can both share on this one, but you're both on the same team and it's team Jesus and team Brown. And how have you guys each learned to champion and empower one another right. with your unique gifts? Because you're a married couple and there's things that he, like you, Chris, like you're passionate about. And then she, there's things that she's passionate about. And then as a, we, there's things that you do together, but you want to empower each other mm -hmm. to to shine and, and to be, you know, to bring out the best and God's best. So how have you learned to do that? Yeah, I mean, two things come to my mind. One is <clears throat> we're really mindful to brag on each other. Uh, there's some things that you can say about the other person that you can't say about yourself, you know? And so I like to really brag on her. Like, like for instance, when I, it's a, it's a true thing, it's authentic, it's coming out, but it just, I really enjoy deep down bragging on her. So to tell you that she has discipled me, I get a lot of joy out of that. Like I, I really believe, and I believe it's true. And I, I, there's some things that I can say that, that would have felt really weird if she just said, hey, he's a cool dude, but I've discipled him. <laughs> there's, just, there's just some things that we can say about each other that we can't say yourself. So that would be one, oh one uh, quick, quick example. I just love bragging on her. I love posting about her uh, way more than I like posting on myself. And so, and I think you can walk in security of knowing, hey, if you're championing them, you're going to have a cheerleader in your corner. And she'll, and I, she never runs it by me first. Hey, on Friday the 17th, I'm going to post something about you. It's going to be incredible. She doesn't do that. It just happens. You're like, that was super sweet. And yeah, that's cool. I love for people to know that about something that God's doing in my life. 
So that's one really simple idea. The other one that's probably a little bit more methodical and a little bit more purposeful over 20 years is we're very intentional about while somebody's out living the adventure, I mean, they're out and they're doing something, they're, 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 they're like going after something or they're maybe with a client or with a church or at a big speaking event. Maybe one of us is like speaking to thousands of people and it's our big moment. Mm-hmm. You're all the spotlights on you, the video cameras on, all that kind of stuff. While one person's doing that in the adventure, the other person's in the mundane. Right. And so you've got one in the mundane, you can't have two in the adventure at the same time. Someone's got to be handling the mundane. And what you're doing by being in the mundane is you are cheerleading them. You are covering them. You're making wow. it all possible. Yeah. And then just know it can't be top heavy. One person can't be in the adventure the whole time while someone's wrapped up in the mundane the whole time. You got to switch it up. Like she's going um, to South Dakota in a little bit. And when she gets up there, I'm like, I'm putting my schedule aside. I am going to be neck deep in the mundane. And I'm going to love it. Because I know I'm allowing her to be freed up so she can shine. And so it's not really about me loving laundry. I don't love laundry. I don't, I, don't, I don't love it at all. But I do love the fact that it's allowing her to shine. I love, like, when she gets, like, giddy about ministry and knowing that I'm creating those giddy moments, wow. it's very satisfying as a husband. And it looks different for us than some couples. And it took a while for us to figure this out. And, in fact, we probably put pressure on each other. For what we thought a supportive ministry couple looks like, like that means when you're teaching, I'm on the front row. You know, that means every podcast you produce, that's what a supportive person looks like. Um, and we had to learn that's just not honestly the way that we're wired. And if if we're going to do that, that means only we can only commit to half the time to go out there and do those things because it takes both of us. And we're just, we've always had three children um, close in age, you know, our, for the last 15 years we've been doing that. And so, um, and really when we started doing a little more travel for ministry that we've always had children. And so for us to be able to, to find someone, get them here and both of us go so that one can feel fully supported was so stressful, was so hard on our family. Um, and, and now that that's starting to get a little easier, we can enjoy that. But for 15 years, it was, you go, I'll maintain the home. I'll make sure the kids are at every appointment they need to be at. I'll make sure every parenting issue is handled and try not to stress you about it. And then we just called it high five in the driveway ministry, like high five kids <laughs> that were a team with this. Um, that's how we had, to, I mean, for the longest time, I felt terribly guilty that I couldn't be that I would watch all these pastors wives on the front row and cheering them on. And it just wasn't a reality. I was an executive pastor for a local church. He was traveling uh, with Dave Ramsey for years. And so that just was a really different piece. And finally I had to just put aside, okay, that's what it looks like for everybody else that I'm listening to. Tell me how to do this, but it's just not, we, we function better. I feel healthier if he stays here and keeps everything stable than if he came with me and all hell breaks loose while we're gone. And then I got to spend three days cleaning up the house, the kids, the damage done. Um, and so we just decided that's the way it works for us, why our kids are, are young. And whoever gets to hit the home run that day, go hit the home run and love it. And whoever is going to stay home and be the base hit and clean up the bats and the balls and be the equipment manager, you do that well too. And you enjoy the, the we enjoy just the differentiation of both of those. And so... Um, I think if any one of either one of us was in one all the time, we probably would start to have some resentment or, you know, just struggle with that. So that's the way it works for us. 
I think it's a beautiful illustration of how you guys take team and recognize that you're on the same team. You have the same jersey, you're running in the same direction. And one way that I would describe it, Josiah and I learning this year one, I've said this before, is who are we in marriage? Of, like this was our marriage. Who are we in marriage? Year two was who are we in ministry? And how do we empower each other along the way? And God gave me this really cool visual. It's almost like you're you're on a bike and you're trying to find the cadence of life with God and with your spouse, right? And each of you represents a pedal. And it's like when one's pushing and pumping on the brakes and they're going backwards and you're trying to go forwards, your whole marriage and your whole ministry can come to a complete and abrupt halt. And one of you or both of you are going to go flying over the handlebars if you don't get your bearings together. So yeah. it's super fun to hear that you guys are able to tag team it, you know, um, one of you is cleaning up the mats and the sweaty mess back home, but the other one's out on the field getting dirty and just doing what God's called you to do in the trenches. So, so fun to hear that. And many of our viewers listening, they're young adults themselves, selves leading young adults. So they could be 25 years old, leading people who are 18, maybe 30, 35, and they're kind of in between. Some are married, some have kids, some are single, desiring to be married at age 30, still waiting for that one. So I just have a question for you guys. What advice do you have for the married couples out there? And maybe one of you wants to take that. And the second part of the question is, what advice do you have for the single person called to ministry? Because a lot of people we see, or unfortunately I've seen, kind of settle along the way. For instance, maybe the woman is really called to ministry and she's at a Christian school and she gives up the calling and takes the guy instead. Five years into marriage realizes this is not what I signed up for. Peace, I'm out. And we've seen that in the early 20s, the 22, 23, 24 year olds do that. And what would you say um, to the married couple? And then what would advice would you have for the single person specifically called to ministry? Well, the married person, I would just say there's a there's a school of thought out there that's don't bring your work home, uh, and I just don't like it. I I don't like <laughs> it at all. I I just I don't understand why you'd sign up for marriage and only sign up for fifty percent of somebody. Right. Like, I don't want to know what you do for forty hours a week. I don't want to know anything about it. Why would you? The burdens that you have at work, the celebrations that you have at work, the relational dynamics you have at work. You're not going to share that with your best friend. Right. So I would just say if you're a young married couple and like share those things with each other, like don't leverage the things that happen at work and bring those home. So maybe it's somebody who's listening in right now and they're maybe a 24, 26 year old and married for a couple of years and they're in ministry and their spouse is not in ministry. Their spouse maybe is a nurse or their spouse is a school teacher or maybe a stay at home parent. Like, no, share those things. Don't this whole idea and i don't even know how big of a thought of it is out there but there is a world out there that says don't bring home your work and i just like if you hear that run we've counseled a lot of people in marriage that like other pastors have told them this is why you're burnout or this is why you know because you you're bringing your wife you know you shouldn't you shouldn't be talking about this at home or you should and of course there's boundaries to it i don't know where you're, i guess i didn't like my answer <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'll wrap up here. No worries. Take, take, um, take it over, Holly. Do it. Do your thing. Tie a bow on. Lay the plane. He's not there to defend himself. I got tagged like, hey, you're agreeing with me. And he's out. And what Chris said is so true about that. You just, you, you're, you, when you sign up for marriage, you are one. And so 
it's it's not cut all that off. It's learn to work in rhythm with all of that. That's that, that in anybody in ministry knows it is a big part of your life. It takes your heart, your mind, and your soul. So you, if you want to be so intimate with a partner, they got to know those parts of you. And you know, the parts of him that get me nervous or are totally different than him. And that's such a beautiful thing in it. And if we didn't share that with each other, I'd be going at it alone. And, um, and not only that, you're setting yourself up for serious, serious temptation and danger because yep. you will find someone that can bond with you over the stress of what you're carrying. And if it's not your spouse, yep. then you're really fighting. So, um, so sorry for the people who, who pastors have told them that advice. I just don't think it builds intimacy in your marriage, which is the most important relationship, um, you know, you're going to have. And so anyways, uh, for the single person. Well, for single, obviously there's some advantages and disadvantages to every walk to every season of life. Yep. But for a single, like there's some availability that you're never going to have the rest of your life. And I would just say leverage that season. And you listen, you think, look at other countries. I, I just got back from Haiti last summer and we like stress out. We work 40 hours out of 168 hours a week and we freak out. I'm like, get to work, like go do something, like go build something, go take a hill. And so if you're single, man, go rock it. I mean, you're not balancing as much stuff. So like leverage your singleness, outwork everybody, uh, not because you're running after success or like aimless ambition, but just because you're going hard after God and you're stewarding your gifts. If you feel like it's shallow and it's just shallow ambition, then slow down a little bit. But if it's like, man, I want to steward my time. I want to steward this season. I want to steward my energy. I want to steward my experience. So that'd be one. And I would say if, if you're looking for a spouse, I would say run hard after not, don't run hard after spouse, run hard after God. And you're going to find that spouse when you go hard after God. And that's, you know, you guys teach us stuff all the time. So like, this is right up your alley. But like, if you run after a spouse, you're only going to get that. If you run after God, you're going to get both and you're going to get a better spouse. And I would just say this too, and you're, this is maybe more than you're asking for, but if I'm putting myself in that spot, there's an opportunity cost to you choosing a potential spouse that's good. That's eh. While you're hanging out with eh, right? best is seeing you with eh. And best is like, oh, he or she's already taken. There, don't settle, is my point. Don't settle for like a eh spouse or a potential spouse. Don't do that. Because, I mean, I, I'm so glad that when she came around, I wasn't with eh. And I wasn't already taken with eh. But I was available. Like, so don't settle. During your segment, so there's a couple things that came to mind. I love it. That's so good. And I know a passion. This is off script, but I think you guys will hit a home run with this one. You can both take it because I think there's two sides to a marriage. And life, hope, and money are three things that you guys have just thrived and helped other people understand and thrive. And when it comes to ministry, so many people are afraid to talk about money and finances. And maybe they grew up in a home where that was just taboo. Maybe they just, you know, somebody else worried about it or a lot of young people are stressing out when it comes to money. If you were to talk to a room filled with college pastors and young adult pastors and give them some insight into finances specifically, what, what maybe would you, how would you equip them or, or what tools would you give them in terms of chasing after the Lord and stewarding everything that he has placed in their hands. 
Yeah, money, whether you like it or not, money touches every area of your life. Yep. It really does. Like your relationships, your, I mean, physical life, your career, you can't, you can't escape it. So you're either, you're going to talk about money. You're either going to talk about money proactively or reactively. Your choice. And trust me, proactively is a lot more fun than reactively. I've done both. <laughs> um, and I would just say the first thing I would say is you've got to have a plan. You've got to live on a budget, but don't call it that. If that really just makes you like vomit, like it just feels really restrictive, frame it up differently. It's you're dreaming together. And how are you going to get there? You put the dream on the wall, you put the bullseye on the wall and then go after it. How are we going to do that? And then you're breaking down the plan all the way to guess what? A month. And you've just made a budget on accident. So I would say that would be huge for your marriage. I would say, secondly, margin is your best friend. Do not, I mean, I mean, factor in margin there's no way that that gadget that little gadget or that little car smells good enough for you to run around with your head cut off trying to make sure that you hit factor in margin if you make forty thousand a year live a thirty thousand dollar lifestyle if you live make 60 live a fifty thousand dollar lifestyle put in some margin and breathe and enjoy what god's given you um that would be the second thing i would say and i would just say this use utilize those conversations and money that you cannot escape it's part of life Money was designed to build your marriage, not bust your marriage. It was designed to develop your dreams, not destroy your dreams. Do not let money mess up your life and mess up your marriage. No, invite it into the conversation. Proactively throw it out there and dream together. Next thing you know, you're like, dang, these budget conversations are like getting me hot. You know, like they're going to create some kind of intimacy. Why? Because you're going to have a whole new budget you got to think about. Easy. <laughs> One thing at a time. <laughs> you do it right, it's going to create margin. It's going to create intimacy. You're going to be dreaming together, uh, and that would just be it. I think if you don't have a plan, you're going to look at wake up, and every dollar that you have is going to be obligated to the past, so it'll have no opportunity for the future. We were calling the head and not the tail, and so at the end of the day, it's all guys. So I, I know you opened up a can there, Josiah. Sorry. I'm just laughing because he said both of you answered. I'm like, okay, if it's about money, he's he's gone. Like it's that's a passion point. We ain't both answered. I'm just gonna say marry well. <laughs> and that solves a lot of your problems when it comes to money. <laughs> true. There you go. Super true. I love it. Well, you guys, we've come to one of our favorite parts of the episode where we ask you five in five, which is five questions in five minutes. So you each get 30 seconds to respond. So you can share that time as a couple. And are you up for that challenge? Oh, we got this. Did you do your stretching? You good? (laughs) Four minutes. Four minutes, okay, he's on a timer. All right, I'm gonna mix it up for the question one. I'm gonna reword it, so you gotta listen carefully now. If you could describe each other in three words of love, what would they be? <laughs> oh, my, mine's easy. Love. Oh, love? Oh, shoot. Oh, this sarcasm already know in your relationship, so I mean, okay. that's one of the words. <laughs> it has some kind? Oh. Um, determined. That's the way to say it. She's an eight on the Enneagram, so a challenger. Um, so determined. So is Micah. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I'm taking your four minutes. Go ahead. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> would be passionate. And then the, the, the number one word for her is just wise. Those would be mm. the three words. Determined, passionate. Good. Uh, for Chris, I would say big shoulders. 
Um, stop, you're stressing me. He's words of affirmation, isn't he? <laughs> he's words of affirmation. Um, he's intimidating. Um, and I tell him that all the time because he, he'll say, I don't understand why they say words to me. I'm like, because everybody in that room was nervous around you, <laughs> which is funny to me. But he just, and I, I really feel like that's a leadership that God, even being a comeback kid and coming, for some reason, even when we were first married, you would, people would say, hey, Chris, can you pray for us? And I'd be thinking, hey, don't pray. Uh, but <laughs> God is, oh, so I don't know, I don't know how to describe that, except for there's just the, an anointing that's been on his life since the time I met him, and really, he was just getting to know the Lord at that point, um, but so he's anointed, and big shoulders, and hard work, he's a hard work, hardest worker I know, so. Awesome. I like that I like that question a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we're all, all the feels, we're all feeling good. If you guys could share, it, it might be from Utah Farm, it might be from church, it might be from your family. You can go in any direction, please feel empowered. But if you could share a recent story of um, restoration, what, what would that be? Maybe it's a story of salvation, transformation, life change. There we go. Yeah. So we had the first time, we have three Airbnbs on our little farm, and the first one, um, the first person who ever stayed came, and uh, she stayed here, and we were so nervous. We didn't know if we had anything set. We're not really big researchers. We just wing it. And so we were winging it, and we put this on a website. It booked. This lady shows up, and um, come to find out, her husband had left her. He was a lawyer, a family law practice um, attorney, and he took everything. And so she tells us this, we felt so bad for her, pray for her, um, and really didn't think much of it, prayed for her a couple nights while she was here each night. And then she went back home, she drove eight hours to be here, went back home, called us like three months later and found out that she had stage four cancer. And she said, can I come back? Because nobody has ever prayed for me in my entire life until you guys did. And so she literally rebooked and came back and brought her son just so to have somebody pray over her, which broke my heart that there are people in this world that literally would drive eight hours just to have someone put their hands on them and pray for them um, and don't know that they can walk into a local church and have someone do that for them. But it also gave us a passion for ministry. Um, and I know we all say this ministry happens everywhere, but there's an accountability, you know, in, in stories like that to like, like all the time ministry happens when you walk out to take the trash out and someone's standing there, be ready. Um, so that's probably one of my favorite stories because it just affirmed this is exactly what God has called us to. So, Wow. You talk about a confirmation, the first person to stay there. That is, <laughs> that is resounding. Wow. Yes, ever. All right. Third question. Are you guys ready? If you could ask us one question, what would you ask us today? This keeps us on our toes. <laughs> humble. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are really, really good at ministry, but you're really, really good at a certain demographic. And we are brand new at having a 15-year-old. So what does our 15-year-old... Young leaders. Uh, what is our... And he is very... He's an athlete. He's a leader. Uh, he's got that presence when he walks into a room. He's got his own opinions. What does our 15-year-old wish that we that we actually got about him like we what, what is he saying that we don't get that we we're need to old get? now so we, how do we yeah. stay <laughs> which is like more mature more experienced more, <laughs> yeah, not old but more weathered what do young leaders wish the more <clears throat> leaders 
I can go super fast. What we've seen a lot of, there's kind of three postures of parenting that we've been observing recently, even on college campuses, literally 18 to 25 year olds. There is helicopter parents. We've all heard of that where they like, they'll email their their college professor or they will go to the job interview. But then we noticed that there wasn't helicopter parents in Gen Z. It's lawnmower parents. It's like, I'm going to get behind you and push. I'm bringing you to the job (laughs) interview. And then like, I felt like God showed me this when we were speaking at this um, event recently. I just felt like the father's arms are open wide. Like, so three postures of parenting. One's like the helicopter joystick, like one hand in and I'm ready to swoop in. The other is two hands, like white knuckle gripping. And then the third is just like the father's open arms. And I think that what we see a lot of is students who don't know that it's okay to fail. And they think that failure is final and that one mess up is detrimental to their life because they've never had, like they've been on a leash Mm -hmm. and they've never been like empowered to fail and to fail forward and to fail fast. And so I would just say like, mm-hmm. I knew growing up that my parents believed me if I was going to be in business, if I was going to be in ministry, like they're incredibly supportive and passionate that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also gave me a lot of wiggle room to mess up and find my voice, find myself. And so that's mm-hmm. how I would answer it. And I'm sure Micah has something much more wise to say. No, oh, no, I would... I would say one thing that I've kind of realized is this gen- this generation, they are desiring to be empowered to make decisions because I think that one thing that we prayed even over our daughter while we were even pregnant was like, we want her to be able to problem solve. We want her to be able to critical think and we want her to be able to fail and make her own decisions while we are still her biggest cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't think parents, like Josiah said, allow students to experience all those different um, upsets in life. So it's like when they graduate from college and they want that $100,000 job and they're rejected at age 22, then they're contemplating taking their life over it because they've Mm -hmm. failed, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But in reality, there is a pruning process. There's a learning curve and everything. Um, But in addition to that, one thing I would say is students need to be encouraged and they also need to know that you are going to love them wherever they're at, whatever season that they're in. And I would just encourage any parent, I'm really um, passionate about purity and relationships, is to have an open conversation always, whether they're three years old and you're starting out with sexuality conversations all the way up until, you know, you become a friend at age 25 to your, your student or your son or daughter. And um, one thing that we're not seeing is dads step up to the plate to have the purity mm-hmm. conversations from pornography addictions to um, how do you pursue a woman? How do you pursue her heart? How do you pursue the heart of Christ? And one thing that I would encourage um, every parent to be mindful of is, is my son or daughter, however, wherever they're at, um, is my son potentially leading a woman to the foot of the cross or is he leading her to the foot of the bed? And if I have a daughter, is a man or a young man leading her to the foot of the cross or is she being led to the foot of the bed? And I think those are conversations that parents aren't having openly and candid enough, even though your teenager may be squirming and like want to jump out of their own skin and be like, I don't even want to hear They're plugging their ears and putting the earmuffs on. I would say that they need to know that the decisions that they make um, with their purity 
does have repercussions down the road, whether it is an addiction or whether it is a physical attraction or whether it is intimately being involved in relationships too soon, too fast, with no boundaries, blowing through the stop signs. So with that, I've encouraged every dad to take their son out and it's like a father Sunday and every mom to take a son out to show like you get a door for a woman, you, you pay the bill, you pick me up at like you date me, like you pursue me, like you pursue a woman in a, a healthy sense, obviously. But that's something that we've decided that we want to do. So he's like, can I go on father daughter dates? And I'm like, yeah, but when you, but when you pick her up, you let her choose a restaurant, you get her her favorite thing at the door, you open the door for her and you show her how she needs to be pursued. And granted, I don't know if you can instill that in a 15 year old, if nothing has been accomplished there, but it's never too, it's never too late to start. And I think they're only going to appreciate that maybe later on, but to just have those open conversations now. I think I took four minutes right there. So <laughs> Yeah, you gave me ideas it. with my daughter too. So That's I great. feel like I got uh, two for one with my answers. Awesome. There you go. Two for one. We like those. So back to you guys. Would you be willing to tell us, this is question four or five. Would you be willing to tell us an epic failure in life, leadership, or ministry, just because we think we can learn from people's successes and failures? Well, <laughs> the last uh, probably five years, I've spoken to 100,000 people a year. And uh, if you go back all the way to 2007, so 13 years ago, wow. I remember my first time ever doing a welcome in a church. And uh, during rehearsal, I walk out to do my first ever welcome at Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And in the third row is the gentleman that we may know named Pastor Stephen Furtick, who is <laughs> analyzing our rehearsal to see how good. I might get hot just hearing him tell the story. I'm like, <laughs> this is going to be good. Oh, <clears throat> and uh, to help me in kindness, they partnered me up with the another person to do the welcome with me, who was the leading news anchor in Charlotte. And uh, we were going to co-do this together. I've never been on a stage before in my entire life. I don't and you uh, ever even had held a microphone. For no, I was like, what do you do with this ever. thing? I was holding it upside down. You know? <laughs> uh, so after I, I literally, this is not like adding, embellishing at all. I vomited in like Larry Bride, who's currently <laughs> there. He can attest to this. He's patting me on the back as I'm puking. No. In a, a trash, uh, trash can. I just got Invisalign, so I, I had to take my Invisalign out that. to puke, and I put my Invisalign back. <laughs> so I'm just learning how this is too much. This is too good. This is good. Anyway, the quick version is I went out there and fumbled all over the uh, rehearsal, but they still let me do it. And I went out there and uh, we we're supposed to feed off of each other and stuff. She takes one, I take another one. We feed off each other. It's kind of a script. And every time she passed it back to me, I was, I was just like frozen. I couldn't answer. So we we're in the middle of like this you know, um, and she'd be like, and what, I think what Chris wants to say is, <laughs> so that was my, it was really, really bad. Todd had been it was a skit. Everybody thought it was a skit. It's okay. Right. No, I did a hurt. <laughs> of course. But, uh, it's just funny now. My point is, and maybe somebody can get encouraged out of this, that I've, I speak to a hundred thousand people a year now, but there was a time where I got up there and I made a bigger fool out of myself than anyone that I've ever led. I've led hundreds of people in ministry. <laughs> and there's not one person I've ever hired that's been as bad as I was on my first day. Well, you set so, the bar pretty high, Chris. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully that encourages somebody. Oh, I think it will. 
Uh, what about you, Holly? Do you have anything you'd like to share with that question? Oh, gosh. Um, no. <laughs> She's like, not that bad. I'm an eight. I don't want to share where I failed. Oh, no. I mean, I have, uh, in, in, which did you ask me, in ministry or in life, um, I have, um, gosh, I have a lot of failures. I have a lot of um, ideas that have bombed, um, and we still execute them, spent thousands of dollars on ideas that have bombed. Um, and I have had, um, situations where, um, I wish I would have had stronger boundaries and, um, didn't, didn't do that and had to deal with processing some of that through and what, what, what is my, aside from what organization I work for and their boundaries, what are my personal right. boundaries? What am I not comfortable with? What can I not sleep at night with? It's a whole other topic for women in leadership that <laughs> one day we will, because you have to set your boundaries. And, um, and so I think all that to say at the end of the day, that ministry people that get to the finish line in ministry and they finish ministry and they, they, they felt a call of God and they stay there and they stay in it through their career, which most people don't, most people last in ministry 18 months or less. You do not get to the finish line with your head, like standing straight up, the strongest me. You limp your way there. And um, I heard Beth Moore say one time, I'm going to get to the finish line, but I'm limping. I'm dragging. I probably got someone helping carry me across that finish line. And that's how you end ministry. And you, and you just keep getting back up. You get back up. You fail. You get, whether it's the idea that bombed, whether it's you did something mm-hmm. that you wish you would have done, whether you missed something. I've missed red flags that I wish I would have seen that could have spared my team, could have spared my church, could have spared people I loved. Um, and that was my job. Like, that is my job to see that about the people that I'm around. Um, and so I've got a bazillion failures, to be honest with you. Um, the one thing that I think would hopefully encourage people is got to be the kind of people that show grace inside our organizations. We, we, we build churches and ministries that allow people to raise their hand and not cost them every single thing they have, their community, worship, and their bread on their table create an organization where people can raise their hand because if you do that they'll raise their hand before it costs them everything but they've got to know they have a leader they can trust um so we got to we got to do that and we got to get ourselves back up we got to get back up god is a god of grace a god of second chances very few people can you find in the bible that even were great heroes of faith that didn't have some failure major failure along the line so um, if you have already been there, done that, welcome to the club. <laughs> we'll send you a, 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 a coin to say welcome <laughs> and, um, and get, just get back up. Too many of us are walking away from our calling because we think we can't come back from something. And that's just, just not, that's not the God we serve. He, he does not operate that way. That's so good. I think that's a perfect reminder for all of us that none of us are perfect, but we serve a perfect God and he can take those, those moments of, um, bitter things and turn them into a sweet aroma back up to him and just do, you know, learn from everything that we've fallen short of. We all fall short of the glory of God and to be extended grace time and time again. Um, and then also to extend that grace to our teams, to our, um, family members, to, to whomever. I think that's just a beautiful depiction of who Christ is. And we've come to our very last question, you guys. And if you could tell a group of college pastors and young adult ministry leaders one thing, what would you leave them with today? Well, just uh, off the tail end of what Holly just said, that you're not any different. Like we all have the ability to fail. So like when you look at somebody who's 10 years older than you, who maybe failed at something or even failed with moral integrity or failed at something, like you're not any different. 
like we are all weak. Like we all have the ability to do something that you would never guess that you would do. Um, another, another thing for young leaders, one thing I try to tell people is like young leaders, and, and don't take this offensive because you guys are younger than we are. So there's a different generation. I don't sense this in you at all. I feel like um, you're a breath of fresh air. Uh, the, the younger we get, there's a microwave generation, right? As opposed to a slow crock pot generation. So it's like, hey, I've been killing it for like a week. I need a promotion. Right. <laughs> like I delivered the welcome of the year. And so I should be in the teaching rotation. Um, I had, can I just share one quick example? I had a girl ask me one time, she had been on staff. Um, she wasn't a pastor on the staff and she was on staff for um, two months and she asked for a paid six week sabbatical and left the staff when she didn't get it. <laughs> and she was, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, I've been for seven years, years I've had a sabbatical. Like <laughs> oh, so it was, anyway, so, and I'm not, I'm not at all like faulting them. Just, just, I thought it was really to this day, one of the funniest meetings I've ever been in. <laughs> she didn't think it was <laughs> So I, I want to leave you with uh, three things. If you want to get promoted, I think everybody wants to be valued at the organization a little bit higher. And, um, whether it comes from a good motive or a bad motive, here is how you get promoted. I feel very good about these things. Number one is kill your job description. Obviously, whatever I tell you after that doesn't matter unless you kill your job description. What you were hired for, you just absolutely crush it. What does crush it mean? It means you exceeded expectations consistently, not for a week, not for a day, but you crushed your job description for six months, nine months, a year, two, three years and it's consistent, they can depend on you to crush your job description. Number two, care about what your leader cares about. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that they care about the Cincinnati Bengals, you gotta care about the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm not talking about that. But if they care about missions and outreach, and you typically were an evangelism guy or gal, like shift and care about both. They're both important. But care about what they care about. If you don't care about what your leader cares about, good luck. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally make the shift if you need to shift and care about what they need to care about. And the third one is really, really important. Solve the biggest problems. You know what the organization, what the team needs, the two or three big issues, the big obstacles, the big hurdles that we're trying to get over. They can't crack the code. They're like, please, somebody help me. Go figure out how to solve the biggest problems. And you're going you're gonna to get promoted really, really fast. If I look back at 20 years, through all the failures, through all the messed up welcomes, <laughs> the thing that when I look back, what works for me? crushed my job description. I cared about what my leader cared about. This is not just lead pastors. This is whatever your leader is, whoever leads it, whoever's over your next step. And the third thing is, is to solve the biggest problems. Yeah, but it's not my lane. No, crush your lane and then go outside your lane with tact and be careful about it. Don't step on anyone's toes. And you offer, here's a proposal. Here's a proposal. Like I was just thinking through this through here's the three things I think I don't want to be just point out problems. I want to bring solutions. Right. I was just thinking that you guys can take the advice. You don't have to take the advice, but I'm thinking if we did these next three things over the next three months, it would solve the problem. <gasps> this is brilliant. Oh my goodness. We need to bring you in on this meeting. And then you go in there and crush it. So that would be the biggest thing. Like don't, don't ask for promotion, earn it. That's good. Chris and Holly, I am beaming. This has been so fun. I, I just love you guys and loved our time together. We just want to say thanks for spending time with us yes. and with these listeners. 
we believe in the next generation the most. And I think that the note that you ended on, Chris, is so helpful to give leaders the practical tools to go to the next level because we believe in the next generation and we want to empower them with anything we can. So really appreciate you guys. And as listeners, you can find out more about Chris and Holly Brown, Mule Town Farm, and the brand new There Is More podcast with the Browns when you connect with us on our website at www.youngadults.today. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.